0: Well the AFB team has a lot in common with your mother. We also have toys named Buzz and Woody. And you're listening to the Action Figure Blues podcast episode number 86 for the week of Wednesday 9th of October 2013. I'm Ben and with me tonight are... Scott. And Eli. This episode is brought to you by Shelflife.net and ActionFigureBlues.com. Tonight we're doing rapid fire reviews and our discussion topic is an interview with sculptor Jean St. Jean. How are you going? Good, thank you. Good. Excellent, excellent. It's been a few weeks. I'm just getting back into the swing of things. Yeah. Eli? Eli, it seems like ages since we crossed paths. What's been happening?
1: Um, All sorts of things. Hope you listened to a couple of weeks ago. I gave the lowdown then. You did. (laughs) <laughs> oh, good, good. I don't of have course. to do a full
0: recount.
2: Yeah, I really can't bear hearing about the sex change operation again. That was just. <laughs> I was yeah.
0: yeah, thinking I... more about guitars, but you, you go where you want. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that too.
1: <laughs> I've been given the um, spending a lot of time playing with the new guitar. It's been good. And, Excellent. Uh, John and I have been communicating, a bit of back-and-forth correspondence um, about some um, different music uh, styles and, and uh, music to listen to, some sort of rockabilly and surf guitar stuff, so that's been nice. Cool.
0: Very nice. And do you have a setup up in such a way that you can play without annoying the neighbours or...?
1: Well, I don't have an amplifier as yet, so it being okay. a full hollow body, it makes enough noise to be able to be heard without one, but I do have my eyes on um, a couple of little um, amps that um, should be uh, enough to annoy the piano lessons next door. That's all I'm aiming for.
0: Excellent. I suppose uh, you put it on the Christmas list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll flog off some toys to pay for it.
0: <laughs> Good on you. Oh, yeah. What about and you, yeah. Mr Scott?
2: Yeah, good. Um, I had a a parenting challenge this week, though. You know, like I'm a very hands-on dad. I I love doing stuff with my kids, and you know, I but I, I really had the boundaries pushed this week because I was asked to take my children to a One Direction movie. Mm. I know, <laughs> and I, I was like, look. Can- Can your mum take you to the One Direction movie, and I'll do, you know, the kind of like stuff that's a little bit less harder than that, like go to your first body piercing or (laughs) tattoo. Get your tattoo. (laughs) Like so, so, yeah. We we had a little bit of a um, (laughs) moment there, but Mum took them. Thank God. I was like, look, I will absolutely take them if I absolutely have to because I know I'm the one that normally takes them to the movie, but
0: please mm-hmm. <laughs> don't make me go. Yeah. Um, I have to draw a line somewhere.
2: Yeah. But then, um, then I did take them to see Turbo. Oh, yeah. Any good? That was awesome. Really? I loved Didn't you like it?
1: I haven't seen it. I just can't bring myself to watch it. It just seems so one direction, one dimensional.
2: You know what? <laughs> it's it's actually really heartwarming. And I mean, you know, I'm a bit of a sap for those sort of things, but I, I really actually enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was great fun, and uh, I laughed, I cried. It became a part of me. So, yeah, it's it, um, it was that's cool. Pretty deep man. Although I have to say, it was very funny. Right at the end, the, at the kind of climax, I kind of stood outside the movie for a moment, and I was like, "Now that just is so improbable." And then I was like, "Hold on, so you're dissecting the logic." Of an aspect of movie of a movie that contains a snail receiving superpowers so that he can run really fast. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I thought it was really cool.
0: Mm. So they, mm. yeah, oh, that's cool.
1: Very nice. Speaking of climaxes, <gasps> yeah. spoilers, Breaking Bad.
0: Yeah, mm. I, I, I shed a small tear.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I well, I actually sat back and just had a you know a nice smile. So that was good.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I have not, um, I'm not up to speed with this show, I'm way behind, Um, but I can tell from the internet that people seem to be satisfied with the ending, Um, Mm. unlike the Dexter ending, which I did see and I hated
0: it. Spoiler, Um, (laughs) I'm yet to uh, indulge.
2: In the ending Mm. of that? Yeah. That was disappointing.
0: Mm. you in any hurry then. No. No,
1: no, no, no. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, I uh, um, bookbinding has been on a hold hold for a while, and um, I was just having a stroll through um, Newtown, where the place I get my bookbinding supplies, I usually get from there. And um, it's a painful experience, but it's the closest <laughs> place to me that has most of what I need. Uh, but I found a, a new um, book cloth, book cover that I. Brought home and did a quick test. I couldn't wait to test it. Got uh, printed something with the inkjet printer and was actually able to put ink onto the book cloth satisfactorily. Whoa. Nice. So I, um, it's going to be a bit of full steam ahead now. Impressive. Nice. Um, Impressive. Yeah, another thing that just put a smile on my dial. <laughs> 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 I, it, it, it's been actually since... Um, the day after uh, uh, free comic day, so May, since I've actually gone and got something and done anything. So it's been a while. Wow. That's what, four, five, four or five months? Yeah. Mm, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, Time it's flies. funny. Like, you know,
2: sometimes it just takes, you don't realize how long, you know, you you stay away from something or, um, yeah, it's funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it <heaps>
2: funny <laughs> i actually had a point but
1: <laughs> yeah, do, we'll do, 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 do you want us to re-record that bit sure yeah what <laughs> <laughs>
2: what show is this again
1: uh, <laughs> <Abidashary> <laughs> weekly yeah
2: we had a big week a uh, day today because we went down to inverlock which is only about an hour and a half away from us and um we stopped at a couple of different places and walked on the beach and had coffee and had fish and chips, and it was lovely. And my little dog had a blast. He had so much fun. So, but <laughs> I think a little bit sun exposed that's uh, my excuse for being that could explain yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I've had one of those weeks that I'd rather just forget about. So, I uh, had my crazy well, work week. Um, crazy work week and last week and a half has been pretty, um, I don't know, full of uh, first world problems that I could probably do without. So I had my had my second credit card hacked. So that was always a fun experience because, um, you know, you've got to wait five days for the new card to arrive. So yeah. you've then got to madly think of all the, you know, places that automatically bill your credit card, such as health insurance and mobile phones yep. and things and contact them not with the new card details but say oh if you're planning on billing my card please don't yes yeah. so, <laughs> and uh, I actually got a I, I sent a message to sideshow and um, they were very good very good about it so well, that's good that was quite pleasing but um, yeah, there's nothing like the, uh, the the joy of having your Credit card declined at a at a retail outlet while people are standing around waiting oh. to be served, and you're like, no, no, I'm 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 not poor. I don't have a gambling problem. Um, um, you know, this isn't me. Uh, uh. So, and when you go to the bank and the bank says they put a hold on it because there was a dodgy transaction that you were completely unaware of, followed by a large amount Man. Um, that was coming soon after, and you thank the bank for taking action, and they say, oh yes, we were number one for fraud prevention, and you say. Yeah, you might want to review that because it would have been nice if you had called me it's Yeah, like, oh, exactly. didn't they call you? Oh, they mustn't have had the correct number. And then I read out my mobile number and I went, no, that is the correct number. So <laughs> if you want to give them some feedback, you know, maybe yeah. taking the time to call me. I love banks. So, I had
2: to go to my bank this week because my um, credit card uh, expired, like normal expiry, and I didn't get my replacement card. Uh-huh. And, and I, had, I wasn't really I, – I went – well, this is embarrassing, but I lost the dipstick to my car. <laughs> now, as, as my wife has said is that a euphemism? Me... Or... No, it's not. As my wife has said <laughs> to me about you know ten times, what kind of dipstick loses the dipstick to your car? I'm just, but... I'm
1: just waiting for John to chime in with the uh, the oh. what is it, Bosco?
2: Dipstick. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the um oh, obviously the, the last time that I checked the oil in my car. Because I did have to add some, and I just—I don't know. All I can think is that I didn't put it away properly, and so then um, I thought then I had oil leak, and so I opened up the bonnet, and there is oil all over half the side of my car, and I thought, oh my god, I've got a terrible oil leak. Like, no, nope. no, it's just that I forgot to put the dipstick back, and so obviously when it gets hot enough, <laughs> it spurts around, and you know. <laughs> so then when I went to um, the reason I discovered that my credit card was expired is that. I went to Auto and tried really hard not to have to ask anyone about my embarrassing problem, but did. And then went through the whole ordeal of choosing the correct dipstick. And then got to the um, front, because I have my savings account, check account linked to my credit card. So I just have the one card, right? And then it was declined. And I'm like, well, I'm sure I've got $17 in my account. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, it's expired. Um, so I had to go to my bank and get that sorted out. And I felt like I was treated like a criminal. Yes. It was highly unpleasant, <laughs> uh, they're like, so you know well, we need to work out where it's gone i'm like well i I'm the person that owns the card, so I can't see that there would be any you know vested interest of mine in saying that I didn't receive the card and but yeah, mm. it was a pain mm.
0: Mm. well, <laughs> my, my week continued when my uh, my hot water stopped working. <gasps> and we have one of those tankless hot waters the gas continuous gas type thing and yep. of course it happened on a long weekend so uh, we uh, called up on the saturday and they said oh we can't be there till next wednesday
2: oh and, torture uh,
0: and of course it's one of those companies that um, they have their own servicing so you can't call a normal plumber because a normal plumber says well you know that that company won't train us they won't supply us with spare parts you have yeah. to go to them yeah and so on the wednesday i I worked from home that day and uh, I had a fellow arrive and spend about two hours here and, you know, I heard him talking to another guy on the phone going, uh, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. And I thought, well, this is going to, you know, end well. And so he couldn't fix it that day, so he said he had to come back the next day with another part, so he came on the Thursday, and he put the new part in, and that didn't fix the problem, so then he said he'd have to come back on Friday with a new part that was on its way from Sydney. So he came back on Friday, and uh, I couldn't be there, so... Does
2: that mean all this time you didn't have hot water?
0: Yes, so we were alternating between going to um, Mrs. Shake's parents, who don't live that far away, and I even um, thought... I just can't be bothered leaving the house. I'm just going to have a cold shower. How bad can Uh, it be? uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, boy, does that put some pep in your step, (laughs) (laughs) to to put it politely. And so um, Ray, who by now I had absolutely no confidence in whatsoever, came back on Friday, installed a new part that he was convinced was the problem um, and then still couldn't get it working Mm -hmm. and then as a complete fluke it started working and he said well it's working now only I don't know why oh, my gosh. um and then I got up this morning to have a shower and about two minutes into the shower it stopped working again yeah. so and uh, after calling them they said oh yes um we can't send anyone out until next Wednesday and was, <laughs> I, uh, I had a few choice words to say uh, about that and she said I'm sorry but there's just no one I can send and she said um It'll have to be Wednesday. And I said, okay, fine, I'll, I'll give in, but please don't send Ray. Yeah. And, uh, and she said, oh, why? And I said, because he clearly has no fucking idea. <laughs> and she said, I'm sorry, I don't think you need to use that language. And I said, really, can I come to your house for a shower? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, anyway. <laughs> On that happy uh, note. Yeah, that's, that's the, uh, that, the household um, you know, renovation-y stuff in lieu of Adam not being here for yeah, this episode. Okay. so. All right, well, it's been a couple of weeks, so uh, let's get back into it with some articulated news.
3: To stop the evil doomsday, you need a hero who's more than a man. Superman. He's been called the greatest, the strongest, the first among heroes. Superman. High voltage villain conduit is powered by kryptonite, but with Krypton cannon blasting,
4: laser Superman powers him down. Conduit will learn, don't mess with the S, Superman.
3: It's the dreaded Doomsday, the most fearsome force in the
0: universe, even Doomsday will learn, you don't mess with the S, Super. Well, before we get to our main features, we start each episode with a bit of news, an articulated news as we discuss the latest events and announcements in the toy and collectibles world. And we're not a comprehensive toy news service, these are just the stories that relate to the things we're interested in and have caught our eye this week. So what's caught your eye, Mr. Eli? Thank you very much.
1: Um, Funko, our friends (laughs) Funko, that we're obligated (laughs) to say, our our good friends Funko. Our good friends. Not
2: just John's friends.
1: Our good friends. Our good friends. Damn (laughs) straight. They won't stop putting out things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this, we have the um, series four of the Star Wars pop figures. Um, These are quite good. There's uh, series four features Wicket, Ewok, um, R2D2, uh, Lando, Jar Jar Binks, Queen Amadala and Admiral Akbar. It's a trap. <laughs> um, I actually think these are all pretty cool.
0: Yes, Akbar um, looks awesome.
1: Yeah, Akbar and Wicket, <laughs> and that's probably the best looking Jar Jar figure I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Mm. The R2D2 is actually a bit odd, and I'm not sure I like that one.
2: Yeah, well, I guess he's popified, isn't he? Like, it's a mm. what do you do? You know, like very
0: yeah, large do? emphasis on his eye.
2: Yeah, because
1: yeah. yeah. it's the it's the same size as all the other ones, I guess. Jar Jar's look a bit small. Yeah. It's just, yeah.
0: Watching.
1: The Akbar
2: is awesome. Mm. Awesome, awesome. I might even have to have that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I quite <laughs> like these. I think um, it would be difficult to take my um, children past these and, and not buy some.
2: Yeah, my eldest um, has a, a b- developing collection of these because she collected the DC pops, but they're kind of you know, far and mm. few between these days. So we've been picking up the random Star Wars ones. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I can bring myself to buy her a Jar Jar though.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's tough, isn't it? But um, yeah. Anyway. Um, Other Funko news, uh, Toy Tokyo, which um, I believe is a toy shop in New York, um, have an exclusive variant Batman in Batmobile pop um, for New York Comic Con. Um, This is pretty bloody awesome. I like it. (laughs) Um, And it's... So it's a variant, so I'm not sure. I I think that means we will actually see Batman in Batmobile um, in the standard uh, 66 um, Batmobile. Yes. But this is, um, the variant is it's the blue colour, a lighter blue colour that is um, an homage to the Japanese-inspired tin Batmobiles. (sighs) Um, Really, really nice. I would, um, if I could get hold of this for a reasonable price, I think I'd actually get it.
0: Yeah, that's pretty neat. It's yeah.
1: very cool. It is very cool. <laughs> so, yeah, New York Comic Con. Um, and um, I'd actually like to see what else they do with the Batmobile series. Yeah. Um, in other news, um, Diamond Select has um, released some news about their upcoming toys for Thor: The Dark World movie. So the movie is when does the movie come out?
2: End of October in Australia. Yeah, you know,
0: November early November. We got it a couple US. of weeks
1: earlier than the US. Don't, yeah, the first yeah. time did. So we get that happens again this time. That's weird. But anyway, it's weird. Um, So, as we can expect, we've got the seven-inch Marvel Select figures for Thor, which is a bit of a different um, costume deco, I think, from the first movie. And there is a Jane Foster figure in some sort of outfit that I'm assuming has something to do with the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that it looks particularly like Natalie Portman, but I'm not too concerned about that. Yeah. Yeah. This is a surprising one. It could stand in for, you know, miscellaneous, robed, garbed woman, you know, <laughs> anything sort of Game of Thrones to True, some sort yeah. of Roman series. But
0: Is she yeah. actually separate carded? Like you, you can yeah. actually buy her separately? It looks like it. Yeah, so
1: she will come out. um, Thor is going to be out in November-ish and um, Jane will come later, maybe later in November. Um, They've got a couple of base pieces that apparently join together to form uh, one sort of scene um, piece.
0: If you've got a spare five bucks, just put it aside and then you can pick up that Jane figure in like you know, June next year when it's on sale. Yeah, like that, that sucker ain't going to sell.
1: No, very true. no, you wouldn't think so. But, no. um, And they've also announced a uh, mini um, series. So you've got Thor, um, Loki, Jane Foster, Heimdall and some other miscellaneous people who we've got, um, Selvig, Dark Elf. Darcy Lewis. So Darcy Lewis, is that the um Jane Foster's Offsider?
2: Yeah, her friend.
1: Yeah. yeah. The um Is
2: is there a Jane? She's not in that picture.
1: Actually, you know, you're right. No Jane. So that might be um something that'll come along as some bloody variant exclusive. Yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> but at least they put the comic relief in there. Yeah, that's right. That's wrong. Yeah, I mean I'm not a big Minimates fan, so but these look as they should. Um the the Heimdall actually looks really cool. I'd I'd have one of those. (laughs) I think
2: Um. the home dollar, if your home dollar is something that could add to your comic mini-mate universe. Mm. That's about it. it.
0: Well, I certainly hope with, you know, the the push we're getting with Thor for everything else that Hasbro pull their finger out. So it would be nice to see some more Asgardians in the Marvel Legends line. But anyway, I digress.
1: Mm, We haven't seen anything announced yet, so
4: Mm.
1: who knows? Maybe July next year. (laughs) Remember that movie that uh, is on DVD now? Yeah. All right.
0: What Uh, else you got?
1: Um, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there was a couple of figures, um, Newt Realizer and Splinter version two. Um, they, um, it's just been an update to say that they have been delayed the release for those. So we actually saw these back at, um, Toy Fair in February. Um, they were supposed to be out by the end of this year, but, um, doesn't look like that's going to happen till uh, probably for about another six months. Huh. Yeah, they okay. look pretty cool. Um, I particularly like the neutralizer. But, yeah, that's me. Cool, cool. All right, Mr. Scott, would you like to go next? Sure. So we already
2: knew that Kota was doing an Artifacts Avengers Now line, and we've seen the Hulk, and now we've seen the second release for that that will be Black Widow. So these are the one-tenth scale line, and she looks sexy. Mm-hmm. As you would expect. Um, <laughs> yeah, quite quite fun. And again, I think uh I think these are really clever. You know, this it's a great scale, like for this sort of thing. They don't take up too much room. Seven and a half inches tall, um, but uh, really nicely done. So this will be a great set for those that want to collect it. I, not me, although the Hulk I will find very tempting.
1: <laughs> yeah. mm. Yeah, I think she, I mean, everything they're doing a Black Widow across all the companies at the moment is pretty good. Yeah. Even when it doesn't look like Scarlett Johansson and it looks like Famke Janssen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when she looks like Famke yeah, Janssen. Yeah, that's
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the uh, giant size... Kenner-style Star Wars figures from Gentle Giant keep coming, um, but bigger than ever, they are doing a Wampa. Mm. This blows my mind. Not only are they doing a Wampa, but they're also doing a Hoth Luke, and so the Wampa is going to be 22 inches tall. Bloody hell. And it's been digitally scanned from an original vintage Womper, and it comes complete with the swinging arm action so that he can... Oh, really? Yeah, so that he can build Luke across the um,
0: ice, which is always great fun. I used to do that as a kid, and you just, like, swing his arm back and whack a figure and go, "That's pretty cool. Okay, I'm going outside. (laughs) (laughs) It was, like, it was a really novel idea until you sort of did it once. I mean, yeah, that's that's good. Yeah.
2: Um, And uh, the... The exciting thing is that these are separate releases, but if you pre-order the Wampa uh, before the 14th of October, you'll get the Luke hoth figure for free, mm. and it will only cost you $400.
1: Bloody yeah, hell. Don't worry. Don't, don't forget the uh, free U.S. domestic shipping or half-off international oh, yeah. shipping as well. Cool. Hey,
0: thanks for building me up with that. I know. <laughs> I was looking at it going, this is really awesome. What a gra-. And then you just... Like, just oh, shot uh, me down.
1: So I think, so there's an interesting thing here. I'm uh, if, if I'm reading these stats right and looking at it right, so the original um, Luke was three and three-quarter
2: yeah.
1: uh, inches and the Wampa was six inches mm-hmm. and they've upscaled the uh, Wampa to 22. Is that larger than what they're upscaling Luke? We're upscaling the Luke to 12, so that is – no, it's –
0: So the Wampus should be bigger or –
1: Or is it roughly in scale to what it was then? So they're actually going up by the same ratio? Yeah, they would be because it's really sticklery to
2: the the vintage. So, I mean, if you're all in for this, then that would be exciting. But, I mean, that price tag –
0: I I, I don't know. Look, I I don't pretend to know the ins and outs of what happens in in producing a toy like this, but I just don't know where the price comes from. I mean, you know, if you can, I mean, that much plastic doesn't cost that much. You're not paying someone to sculpt the figure. Um, Mm. I I don't know. I just, I mean, it's not like there's a lot of detailing that's required. It doesn't have uh, an extensive, you know, paint job. Um, Yeah, I don't know.
2: yeah crazy um in news that's slightly less exciting but also rather more affordable um this week dc collectibles has done a really fantastic um photo series on facebook which has been the days of solomon grundy and we've had the joe menace fantastic solomon grundy action figure on each of the <laughs> um, lines of the solomon grundy kids uh, poem it's just been brilliant yeah and then they said in there that there was a clue to an upcoming figure and one of them when he died on a thursday or whenever he died he there were coins over his eyes and so many people guessed correctly that it would be 2 Face, and we are getting a arkham city two-face in april 2014 six inches um So that's uh, for people that have been clamoring for that. Whoever you are, you'll be very excited.
0: It's not a bad looking figure from what we can see.
2: No, yeah, we've only still got kind of a bit of a uh, blur. But that that Solomon Grundy photo series was just Mm. art. It was 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 fantastic. And then finally, I'm pretty sure that we talked about this last year. It's time for the next round of nominations for the National Toy Hall of Fame. There are 12 nominees this year, and they are Bubbles, (laughs) Chess, (laughs) Clue or Cluedo for the Australians, Fisher-Price Little People, Little Green Army Men, The Magic 8-Ball, My Little Pony, Nerf Toys, Pac-Man, Rubber Duck, Scooter, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And apparently, so, so... uh, apparently, My Little Pony has a commanding lead at the moment. For the so wow.
1: Um, so I know we talked about My Little Pony last week, or you did. Oh gosh, yes, we did in way too much detail. <laughs> did you get Did you get any feedback? Uh,
2: no.
1: <laughs> no. Okay. Because
2: cool. the show hasn't been out long enough at this point for saying oh, thanks for so. teaching my kid what a clopper is.
1: Fuck ah, okay. yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was in uh, I was in the, the local comic store during the week um, to pick up uh, this week's loot, and um, and I overheard this um, one of the the guys saying to um, a customer, said, ah, oh, sorry, man, no, they're sold out." So said, which one's your favourite? And I'm not really following what's going on at the moment. And the guy behind the counter-scan, it's the rainbow one, isn't it? can you can tell me. It's the rainbow one, isn't it? <laughs> and I didn't really follow. And then I saw a tweet coming out of the, uh, the my, my local comic store, King's Comics, and it was... Um, just be aware that if you're a grown man coming in and buying my My Little Pony comic books, I'm going to ask you what your favourite pony is. <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: dear. Yeah. So if you feel like something else on that list might be more deserving for the National Toy Hall of Fame, how could the Little Green Army Men not already be in the National Toy Hall of Fame? I ask you.
1: Yeah. Um, then. Well, how could- how could hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles not be above that?
0: But what is something like Pac-Man? Are we talking about, like, the giant just arcade machine?
2: I, I don't know. I, I, guess, I guess so. If it's the toy thing, then I guess it must be. Do they get another shot at Dexter if they don't get in this year? Yeah, the, I mean, Star Wars, I know, was up a few times before it got in. So Chess. Yeah, chess. Bummer. So at the moment, oh, oh actually, I just voted, and Turtles are now ahead of My Little Pony. So there you go, Turtles, My Little Pony, and then coming third at the moment are the Little Green Army Men. Uh, If if you want the scooter to get in, you really need to get voting because it's only got 1% (laughs) of the vote. Very alarming (laughs) for all the scooter fans out there.
0: It's very interesting that they actually consider things like chess or dominoes because, you know, things like dominoes have been around for a thousand years or more.
2: Well, just to get some perspective here, in 2011, they inducted The Blanket. So, Wasn't the, you know, the
0: box in there as well? Uh, Didn't one year the cardboard box?
2: Uh, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I think I It goes
2: yeah. back to. It goes back to 98. No, I'm not seeing cardboard box here. Mm. Alphabet. Alphabet Box. Easy. Raggedy Andy. What about Raggedy, Ann? Oh, Raggedy Ann, Andy? Raggedy Andy and Andy are both in there. Uh, playing cards. Dollhouse. No. Actually, it doesn't seem to have the 2013 winners yet. Oh, maybe they get announced.
1: That's um, because we're still voting on them. Okay.
2: <laughs> bit, oh, no, I thought they were the 2014 ones. Oh, I'm sorry. Bit too much. That's because it's 2013 ago. now, isn't it? Yep. <gasps> let's take, <gasps> let's still.
0: Let's oh. take the attention of Scott and we'll segue into my news then <laughs> okay. and save you from just, just and let
1: comparison. him process that
0: for a while about not knowing what the date is.
1: What year is it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I should contemplate over a Tim <laughs> Tam.
0: There was some news this week that. I initially got extremely excited about and that sort of tapered off fairly quickly. Uh, And that was the news that Dynamite Entertainment has uh, expanded into, uh, well, other merchandise, I guess, other than comic books. And, I mean, Dynamite are doing a pretty good job. They've got some pretty fancy licences that they're um, getting some good mileage out of and so the first thing that came to mind for me was six inch action figures
1: what do you mean you mean like 57
0: variant covers (laughs) well that's right i mean they've managed to keep things like red sonja and the, the the sort of john carter stuff going for a while which is nice um, so, yeah, I just assumed that the first thing that came to mind would be some fantastic, you know, six inch scale action figures of the assorted uh, pulp heroes. They've just announced they've got Doc Savage. Um, they've already got the shadow and the spider and things like that. Um, but quite quickly, it uh, came down to uh, a handful of, well, a handful of properties and a handful of. Ideas. Uh, the properties included were Six Million Dollar Man, some of the Chaos Comics stuff, Red Sonya, Army of Darkness, and Vampirella. Uh, apparently we'll see action figures, a, a statue, uh, and novelties relating to Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, and other sort of various bits and pieces. So, um I don't know. It, it's kind of a bit bit sparse in the detail, so I guess we'll have to wait and see and hopefully... The thing um, that
2: I found disconcerting was that the um, they kept referring to all this stuff as the 3D market. Like, you're re-entering the 3D market, and I'm like, oh, dear.
0: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> And we've certainly seen bits and pieces over the years of, of some of these characters, like Vampirella, et cetera, Um, especially the the Chaos characters through um, more action collectibles. So, I don't know, as, as long as there's sort of consistency uh, amongst them um, as far as action figures and things go, so yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll stay tuned on that one, and, and hopefully we'll, you know, hopefully those pulp heroes are going to get a look in somewhere. Yeah. Um Speaking of Golden Age goodness, one of my faves, Captain America, is being, uh, well, (laughs) inducted into the Mr. Potato Head Hall of Fame uh, (laughs) with his own Mr. Potato Head, and I don't think he actually has a name. You know how they often have clever names? I remember it was Tony Starch and
1: things like
0: that. They always have clever potato-sounding names like Darth Tater and um captain america doesn't appear to have a name maybe because it's a bit early
2: we don't we don't see a box yet though so maybe it'll they'll come up with that when we see the box
0: yeah i'd say we've got a a concept image at the moment and it looks pretty cool it's um you know it looks like the uh the the well it's not really a movie version it's almost like a bit of an ultimate version so but yeah that looks like that looks fun um a guy that uh, Mrs. Shade works with, he has a Mr. Potato Heads in his office and he's got a pretty good display. So. Oh,
2: that's so cool. Yeah.
0: And he he, doesn't, he, he collects Mr. Potato Heads, so it doesn't matter. He's got his Elvis and he's got uh, everything. So. Anyway, um, I think there was actually mentioned that there was also another Iron Man and a Thor. Uh, oh, and a, a Wolverine as well. So there you go. Not really my thing. I don't think I own a Mr. Potato Head. No. Mm. Uh, all all right. Can live um... With we also heard that the soon, uh, soon to happen New York Comic Con, um, uh, Marvel has set up their Marvel shop and, or will be setting up their Marvel shop. And they've actually got, uh, quite a few limited editions and exclusives and things like that. And I clicked on the link thinking that I, you know, what will it be? It'll be, you know, some, I don't know, Infinity issue three with a limited edition cover or something like that. But I was actually quite pleased. There's quite a few fun things. That they've got going. One of them, which I thought was quite amusing, was a, a rocket raccoon plush toy,
3: mm-hmm. which
0: uh, I, I thought was a lot of fun. So there's only a thousand of those. So you can get in early if you want that one. And that's um thirty four ninety nine. And I don't know, that, that looks fun. Anyway, maybe it's just me. Huh, but- that's c- cool. Yeah, I I actually thought it looked just like him. I think they've done a very good job. So um, there's an assortment of um, T-shirts and some uh, glass tumblers featuring, oh, look, Angela has already got her own glass tumbler. She's been in like three Marvel Comics and she's already got a glass tumbler. Lucky lucky for them.
1: Did they just go over to, what's that um, that online place where you can get everything (laughs) made up? (laughs) (laughs) Sparkle (laughs) or something.
0: Lucky for Marvel, I've already got my master of kung fu glass. So. <laughs> Dear, um, And the one that was really interesting was the Zombie Magneto Bust by Gentle Giant. Yeah.
1: Which
0: will set you back $99 if that's your thing.
1: Interesting is one thing to call it. Mm.
0: Uh, a few other nifty things. There was a, a uh, Deadpool by Scotty Young. Tumblr. I quite enjoy Scotty Young's variant covers for Marvel. I've only picked up a couple of them. I'm not sort of keen enough to go after all of them.
1: Anyway, yeah, they're giving they're giving the Scotty Young stuff a big spin. There's the Groot and Rocky Ricco T shirt, that's pretty fun. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Not for me, no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And the last bit of news we have is that um, McFarlane in Toys. Are they still McFarlane Toys? Are they actually Toys, even though we're going to be talking about other things other than Uh, Toys? I don't know. Anyway, McFarlane Toys is apparently getting into the WWE uh, license, which I don't understand why it's WWE because I thought they were the WWF now. Um, Or no, they are WWE. Sorry, my bad. I always get them confused with the World Wildlife Fund. They were WWF. (laughs) Anyway. Look, they're getting involved and the first image we saw was actually of The Undertaker and uh, obviously the the initial was like, that looks like it's got pretty poor articulation. That's pretty typical McFarlane until we actually found out that it is actually a statue. So um, interesting that McFarlane is getting in on the wrestling um, and they've decided just to go straight with the high end stuff, which... Um, which should be fun. I think the wrestling figures are pretty much, you know, they, they've had their run and it's uh, pretty hard to do new stuff these days. So doing these big honking statues that are going to sell for $295 is something a little bit different. Um, so The Undertaker apparently is about 17 and a half inches tall. we got a base that includes LED lights um, and one of the biggest nameplates I've ever seen. <laughs> so which is a, a huge pet peeve of mine but um yes. anyway if you wanted to put this statue on your shelf and um you know you didn't know who it was you'd be reminded every time you looked at that giant nameplate
2: mm-hmm. it's unfortunate
0: it's a very good sculpt like it's it's actually spot on um what's interesting though is um it's obviously fairly on, early on in the undertaker's career because um you can't see any of his tattoos he's actually got quite a few tattoos now and uh, Including one across his neck, so um well, it's gone. Ow, early ow, Undertaker. Ow. Yeah. But anyway, it's a pretty good sculpt if that's your thing. Keep an eye out for that one. <laughs> All right. That's a lot of news. It sure is. Okay. Well, that wraps up the articulated news, and we'll be right back with the next instalment of the AFB podcast game. Name that.
3: Howdy 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 your old friend engineer nerd again back with another name that in last week's exciting installment you heard this sound They're invading
0: Each with powers more awesome than the next <laughs> are Burning with flame power their whirlwind power blows them away oh, no! There's
3: nowhere to hide Yay! And after listening to that exciting clip did you catch what it was? Well of course you did because you all knew it was Pokemon well, maybe you didn't I know I wouldn't have known what it is, but it was Pokemon. So catch them all, you guys get it. Okay. Anyway, moving on, we'll move on to this week's sound, and it's gonna sound a little something like this. Come to drive America nuts. They're ugly,
4: they're weird, they're tiny, they're terrible. And, they're pink. There are hundreds of them.
3: and we'll take one more listen right here. Come to drive America nuts. They're ugly, they're weird, they're tiny, they're terrible. And they're pink. There are hundreds of them. If you think you have the daring insight into what that sound is, then let us know. Come on over to the AFB Forum. That's AFBforum.com and let us know there. And if you get it right, you'll get a forum point. If you get enough forum points, you can get coffee for free. Well, at least so I've heard. Anyway, if you'd rather play the picture version, come on over to tvandfilmtoys.com on Tuesdays and Thursdays, where we play the picture version, and you still leave the, the guesses over in the AFB forum and get points. So either way, it's a lot of fun to guess and come and play along. We'll talk to you soon, and peace out, people.
0: Was more awesome than the next. Wow. Pokemon are burning with flame power. Their whirlwind power blows them away. Woo-hoo. There's nowhere to hide.
4: Yikes!
0: Can they be mastered?
4: Is that you? It's the Fembot. New from Kenner. Mm. And Jamie Summers, the Bionic Woman, sold separately. I'm Jamie Summers. Oh no, you're not. I am. You're a Fembot. Your
2: Paralyzer gave you away.
4: She's a me. Now I have to.
2: Guys, myself as a mystery baby. No one will recognize
4: me. Not even Jamie. Ha <laughs> ha. Fembot comes with everything seen here. Jamie Summers, the Bionic Woman, sold separately.
0: Well, now it's time for one of our feature segments tonight. We're doing rapid fire reviews, and each episode we might take turns looking at one toy or collectible in detail. This episode, we're doing that three times. These might be new releases, or we might talk about favorite or bizarre items from our collection. And Scott, you're first up. Thank you.
2: Well, I'm also the clock keeper of the five minutes each, so I'm starting the clock now. I am reviewing the Bowen Designs Groot Mini Bust. This, <coughs> excuse me, was a Bowen web exclusive that came out this year. And if you ordered this at the time, it would have set you back about $149, $150. If you want it now, be prepared to sell a kidney. uh there's 500 of these all up mine's number 175 and uh they're getting pretty pricey on the secondary market which doesn't happen to bowens a lot but for the web exclusives it usually does so if you're not familiar with Groot he is the big tree guy um originally from uh jack Kirby tales to astonish story where he was a bad guy and now of the guardians in the galaxy where he is a a good guy and um, a part of the team. So when we say mini bust here, that's um, using the term rather loosely because <laughs> uh, this chap is 14 inches tall, which uh, is a clearer way, I think, of approaching Groot, because obviously a full-size Group would have to be enormous. Um, so the mini bust with the, the scale that they've chosen is... Is a clever way of showing the scale of the character without having to do something enormous. It's sculpted by the Kacharic brothers, who are, you know, certainly some of the most creative sculptors that Bowen uses, and creative not just in their character choice, but also in their problem solving in designing, you know, characters that could fall into the too hard basket. So this is the traditional type of bust where we don't have arms; we just have the um, torso with uh, the shoulders, and it's cut out at the back, um, like a, the the earlier Bowen busts were. The um, like I said, he's fourteen inches tall. The sculpt on this is uh, exceptional. The all, all of the wood um, in in his face and his I guess, branches, he doesn't have hair. He's got the the knots and everything beautifully done, but then also the details on his uniform, the wrinkles in his jacket, buttons, uh, even the um, strap that goes around his chest um, is beautifully done and and looks fantastic. He's got a base that has um, some branches wound around it as well. It's very clever. The torso comes in at a very fine point in connecting to the base, but it's very stable. it's not in any real danger of um tipping over and uh it's very beautifully painted as well great color choices the The one thing that I would comment on just in comparison to the uh pictures and even the pictures on the packaging is that there it looks like there's been a bit of a a grey sort of wash that has been run over the wood that uh, isn't there in the promo pictures. So the promo pictures are more just solid brown, whereas the wash actually does give it a bit more of a textured feel. So it looks a little bit different at first, but when you have a look at it, uh, I think it's very well done. I've got one little complaint about this great piece, and that is that like... As sometimes happens with um, statues, when you actually sit him flat on the table, he's actually looking down at quite an angle. So Mm. when you're looking at him straight on, you can't actually see his eyes. Which is a bit of a pain, particularly because the place that I want to put him is, I had planned to put him was on a bottom shelf, um, where he would have gone really nicely with some other cosmic characters. But if I put him there, I'm really going to be looking just at the top of his head. That's Um, actually
0: common to a a few pieces uh, of the sort of last 12 months.
2: Yes. And, and one thing, the thing that bugs me about this is that, um, when they're photographed, they're photographed looking straight on. You know, and that says to me that they know that people want to see the faces of these things. But there's been a couple of Bowen pieces, in particular, um, the the classic Storm that came out a little while ago, dazzler to a degree, um, where they're photographed looking straight on. When you actually get them, they're looking down at quite an angle, and uh, this is this is the case with this chap as well. So, uh, I. I'm really happy with the piece. I think he's a great addition. Um, I'm not going to penalise him too hard for looking down because it's not his fault, and I'm going to give him a 9 out of 10. And that mm. is time.
0: Very nice. Well, would you say the the way you mentioned that it's kind of sculpted out of the back or, or, you know, carved out of the back, is is that a styling choice or do you think that was something they did to keep the weight down?
2: Um, I think it's a styling choice, and it's if you saw the um, – recent red hulk minibus that they did that had the same and where it's carved out at the back and kind of pitted Mm. um so i think it is a way of keeping weight down for sure but it's also i think quite clever like in terms of a way to you know not have to define the whole thing because it just looks like it's kind of been carved out of it. So it's it, it really is a shame, the angle thing, because his facial expression is great. I'm going to have to put him up so that you can really fully appreciate it. But it's just even now when he's sitting on the table in front of me and I'm sitting at eye level, or should be eye level, he's looking down. It's a bit of a bummer. Mm-hmm. But that just means he has to go up on a higher shelf and he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Thank you, Bernard nice. Designs.
0: Hmm. Oh, I'm glad that they actually make the effort with those unusual pieces uh, they every now and then Bowen mm. designs will just um you know have a go at something that's just you know a, a little bit left field and and obviously you know do it spectacularly well
2: and i think it's partly the nature of the business model too in that um i know the katronics do this a fair bit where they will just do stuff on spec mm. you know mm. without it necessarily being asked for and i'm i don't know if this is one of them but you know and just say hey what do you think of this and because of the way that um the business model works. Randy will put that stuff out there, and if it gets a good reaction then and it's on the his list of approved characters, then it'll get made yeah you know, there's only yeah. five hundred of these, so yeah you know, it's not a huge um you know it's it's not a huge risk really if you know that it it gets a really positive reaction and this is clever too particularly you know with movie etc coming up and they have said they are going to do guardian of the galaxy busts so yeah um yeah looking forward to the rest
0: Hmm. very nice
2: very nice that's me all
0: right mr Eli.
2: hello are you good to go your time starts
1: now Cool. Well, I'm doing the Sci-Fi Revoltech Iron Man Mark One figure. Um, this is made by Yodo, a Japanese company. So, Sci-Fi Re- Revoltech is um, it's a sort of a blanket name for a bunch of figures that um, are coming out with the Revoltech technology, which is, I think, it's the name is essentially to do with the um, the articulation. Um, I picked this up uh, this year, it was released this year and it was the first purchase that i made through Hobby Link Japan. It is, it's an action figure. It's, um, uh, 160 millimeters. So it is, um, it fits in the scale perfectly with the Marvel legends, um, scale. So, um, I think, uh, Adam was reviewing, uh, figure arts, uh, Iron Man a few weeks back, same sort of deal. Um, just matches perfectly and looks a lot better than the marvel legends ones um the price i paid for this including shipping was about 50 to 60 dollars, and i think it's mostly sold out now you may be able to pick it up from somewhere like big bad toy store or something still but um, hobby link no longer has it in stock Mm. the packaging uh, is very good it's very collector friendly so you've got a Nice window um, box with um, inside with the uh, moulded tray the figure sits in and um, the accessories that come with it. The um, the box itself has um, basically photos of the figure itself. Um, there's one small bit of movie art. Well, I should say this is actually based on the, um, the Mark I Iron Man from the Iron Man movies. So there is one um, still from the movies, but it's not a Mark 1, it's um, or Mark 3 or Mark 4 or something. Um, but all the other pictures on the box are um, the figure itself and um, the accessories and the Revoltec um, system. Um, and everything is in Japanese, <laughs> which, is, which is kind of useful if you read Japanese. <laughs> but very collector-friendly. The sculpt is awesome. It is very movie um, accurate. Um, Watanabe Yuki is the sculptor. He's done a few figures for the Revoltex series. So he's done a a Mark 7, and there is an upcoming um, Mark 17. Um, but he's also done some of the um the um, Godzilla type of things, so Mecha Gojira and the Gamera and um, one of those flying ones as well, Rodan. he's um he's done some good work. The paint apps are extremely good in the most um very accurate washes and um the detail on the armor for these are all really good the only issue i have with the paint is the skin tone underneath it is very much not a caucasian american under there i would say it's more of a chocolatey type of skin (coughs) um so maybe it's the costume being worn um that they assembled you know in afghanistan after the fact not sure but um, that's the only thing I would um, I would mention about that. Articulation, as I mentioned, it's the Revoltex system, so there is all the joints and rotation. Um, the official stats say about 19 points of articulation. Uh, it's kind of redundant with the amount of things you can do with it. You know, you can sit it down on its ass and do, you know, the lotus pose and all sorts of stuff. So,
4: <laughs> really good.
1: Um accessories it's i mean the figure itself has just got stuff all over it you know all the stuff in the movie that they piece together in that um in that uh, bunker um, but it does come with an extra set of hands it comes with a flame for the flamethrower attachment that he built onto his costume uh the armor sorry uh it comes with a little box which i think is to put the accessories in and a little nameplate as well Um, Very awesome figure and um, it's definitely got me hooked on to Japanese-style of figures being as how Marvel Legends and um, Mattel are doing fuck all that I want to buy. 20 seconds left. (laughs) So now in slow motion I will read out my Dolly rating out of 10. Um, I am going to give this, um, I'm going to give it a 9 as well. No, 9, 9.5, 9. Um, that's skin tone thing. And, and time. And also there is something in one of the uh, <laughs> details that comes out of his forearm that's not quite as in the picture.
2: <laughs> Cheater! Four extra <laughs> seconds of review. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> going to take off half a point. <laughs> that,
2: that means you have me to or my give us... Rating. No, that means you have to give each of us one of those. So... <laughs>
1: Hey, some prick docked me on the forum during the week. Really? Yeah. Really? On the
0: forum this week? Uh, Yeah. Uh.
1: (laughs) Uh. Rare. Yeah. I'm
0: I'm trying to think of um, your most recent posts and. and
1: Look, I'm never full of joy. If if so, were
0: were they offensive? (laughs)
1: Oh, I'll give it depends you, I'll how you read it, never... right? It's not like I often put an emoticon on the end of the stuff I say. You <laughs>
2: Probably it. your lack of smileiness. I'm sure yeah. that's what... Oh. You... Yeah,
1: it's happened before. Yeah, for
2: sure. I've been meaning to talk to you about your lack of smileys. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Well, I'll, I will
2: give you... For people who have no idea what the hell we're talking about, on our the AFB Forum at uh we have what we call QC, which are points that you can give, which really are supposed to be for... When you like what someone did, but you can take them away as
0: well, which is just mean. Mm, and they're, they're the ones that John gives every week for Correct. guessing his um, stuff. Mm, that's right. So, all right. Well, thank you for that. Eli. I'll, I'll award you a uh, uh, an AFB podcast point. Yay! Oh, please, please don't.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, your turn. Be
0: starts Ben yes. now. Thank you. All right, I'm going to be talking about Hellboy, and in particular, this is the Mezco comic-style Hellboy that came out way back in 2005 when Hellboy stuff was all the rage, and I'm a big fan of Hellboy, so I own lots of Hellboy stuff, so um, I actually didn't get around to picking these figures up at the time and um, have since regretted it for reasons I shall talk about later. But anyway, um, this is the sort of, I guess, comic version of the movie figures that um, have also come out from Mezco. And so this is a, a 7 inch scale action figure. So he comes in at a tad over 18 centimetres tall. Um, he cost me $30, which was sort of about normal um, at the time when they came out. So I've managed to pick this one up um, for pretty much the same price it was retailing when it first came out. Um, this series has numerous Variants um, There's, If you wanted this particular figure There's several variations that you can get Mine is probably the, the cheapest one It's Hellboy without the trench coat Or any of the extra bits and pieces So he's just bare chested um, It's a blister card figure As you'd expect It's a fairly simple blister I mean it's quite a large blister um, Features some nice art from Mike Mignola Who is the creator of Hellboy And so this, is, um, this figure is styled after his um, version of Hellboy, so the original and the best. Uh, It's not collector-friendly in the slightest. Once you get that sucker open and you get him out of the the blister, in a a blister tray kind of thing, you're not going to get it all back together. So I no longer have mine. Um, As far as a sculpt goes, it's actually spot on it's it's absolutely spot on it looks exactly as you would expect a Mike Mignola Hellboy to look it's got those really chiseled angles that he's known for it's got sort of the exaggerated sort of barrel chest but the sort of the thinner arms the the large um I guess you know his his horns etc the square jaw um it really is um straight off the page it's it's just like you would hope it would be so um that's just flawless um, as far as the paint goes, well, it's, it's actually pretty good considering how simple it is. It's, um, he's cast in red plastic. He's got a black wash that they've run over to sort of bring out, um, some of the, the nooks and crannies. Um, it's pretty well done with the leather belt. He's got his usual, you know, belt with all the pouches and harnesses and things like that. That's all nicely detailed. It's quite simple, which is what you'd want with this sort of thing because that's how Mignola does it. Um, he's, um, bits and pieces like the the grip on the Samaritan pistol, sort of done in the wood grain, etc. Um, as far as articulation goes, uh it's not too bad. It's pretty sort of standard for this. They haven't gone sort of um, Marvel Legends crazy or anything like that. You've got all the usual sort of ball-jointed head. You've got the, the chest crunch, the, the normal sort of uh, articulation you'd expect in the arms. Probably the biggest disappointment is there's actually nothing below the knees. So he's got um, single-jointed knees and then below that, nothing. So there's no ankles, no ankle rocker. There's nothing that allows you to turn his ankle sort of left and right. So that limits the posability of, of sort of you know placing his feet um, because because... because the right hand of doom, which is his big stone fist is so big and his upper torso is so big, it actually makes him extremely top heavy. So you're fairly limited in how you can sort of pose him upright without him starting to get a bit wobbly. Um, And that's where the tail comes in handy. The tail, instead of being that typical kind of flexible rubber with a bit of wire down the center, this is actually his, his tail is already curved and it's made of hard plastic, but it actually has uh, three uh, points of articulation. One where it actually joins his butt and sort of two more along the tail which allow you to sort of get some pretty nifty poses out of it but what's actually really good she can pose it in a way that actually um, allows it to balance him so you can use it as that third point of balance and get him into some more funky positions and, and that makes it a bit more fun as far as the playability goes getting going um, as far as extras goes he comes with a walkie-talkie not really sure why um, he comes with a Samaritan pistol which really looks really fun unfortunately only his left hand can hold these and when you put the pistol in his hand there's really nothing you can do with the walkie-talkie it's got nowhere to go um, he's got 30 his little seconds sort of Thank you. He's got his little lucky horseshoe. He's got his cross, which is hanging off of the little plastic chain. And that all looks pretty nifty. Um, and probably the, hard, the, the the biggest disappointment with this series is if you were after any of the unusual figures, they're now worth an absolute fortune. And so this is the only figure I own from the series. And um, other than the weight of the right hand of Doom stopping his right arm from being up long, up for very long, and the odd balance issue, um, I'd probably give this guy... 8 out of
2: $10. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be doing the timer. I
0: don't know what you're talking about.
2: One of the reasons why I get to do the timer is because I know to put my phone on silent.
0: I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, there you go. It's just lies made up by my enemies to discredit them. <laughs> oh, please.
2: You don't need any help from your enemies in that regard.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I feel your pain on this one, Ben. I own, I own this figure. Um, yes. And it's it's awesome. I think it, it is it a little bit restricted in the amount of poses you can get it into though. But um, in terms of it looking like it came off the pages, it definitely achieves that. Yeah. Um, the only other figure I have is Lobster Johnson and that's pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I have some regret about having uh, missed a couple of opportunities. Um, I could have picked up the Homunculus for about $30. Uh, once missed out on that Abe Sapien, probably for about forty dollars. Miss, yeah. you know, just just didn't know the value of it at the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the more unusual the figure, the the more they seem to be in in this series. Yeah. So. I think,
1: and I have a feeling, Liz Sherman's the. Um, one of the hardest ones, like you can, there's listings yeah. going for like three, four hundred dollars for some of those. Oh, and my think, goodness,
0: yeah, and, and that's because there's about four variations of her there's sort of normal Liz, there's semi fired up Liz, there's a complete sort of supernova Liz, and and I think, um, what's his name, Cre- Kriegor Is it the gorilla? Yeah, uh, he just goes for you know, 400 bucks. And well, I mean, you know, one has to presume that people are actually paying that. Um, that's certainly yeah. what he's listed for. So I mean, I could yeah. do,
1: do without him, but yeah.
0: It's, yeah. So Trarky. I haven't actually... Yeah, well, that's it. I haven't actually bothered to pick up any of the others in the series. I'm sure one day if I come across them, I'll add them. So Yeah, yeah very good. All right. Anyone for turtle soup? Oh no! Raphael's in the clutches of the evil foot flesh torture machine!
3: Will the turtle cycle make it in time? Will Raphael be destroyed by the retro mutagen ooze? Well, I don't know. What a shot! The double-barreled plunger gun saves the day again! And with their retro catapult, the turtles are giving the foot some of their own medicine! Anyone remember where we parked? From
2: Playmate! Well, our guest for this episode is sculptor Gene St. Jean. If you collect action figures and statues, then whether you know it or not, it is highly likely that you own one or more things that have been designed by this very talented man. Um, he's particularly worked for DC Direct, now DC Collectibles, for Diamond Select, and for a number of other companies. And we are delighted to have Gene with us on this episode. So, Gene, thank you very much for joining us.
4: Oh, my pleasure, guys.
2: Now, just for those who mightn't be aware of who you are, it would just be great for us to hear a little bit about um, that, and I guess particularly just your background and your journey um, to becoming a sculptor for the kinds of things that we love to collect.
4: Uh, Well, I kind of came into this field um, from an odd route. uh, I always kind of dabbled in artwork because my father and all his brothers and sisters had a certain degree of artistic ability, and my dad was a commercial artist, though. He was a catalog um, layout guy for Montgomery Wards. And uh, as a kid, I always, you know, I was into Mego action figures and uh, comic books and things like that. I always loved, like, the old uh, Jim Apparel Batman and Aquaman stuff, you know, Brave and the Bold and uh, <clears throat> Adventure Tales, stuff like that. And my first uh, introduction to... Batman was, I was three years old when the '66 show came on TV with Adam West, and that just, you know, sucked me in immediately. I was completely obsessed. <laughs> my first, so like my first toys were, um, well, my very first action figure was Johnny West from Marks. And then the second action figure I had was the, uh, the Batman from um, that I think it was, was it Ideal that did Captain Action originally in the 60s? And Batman and Aquaman were my two first superhero action figures for Captain Action.
2: I knew there was a reason I liked you. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah, I, it, it's always gotten under my skin the uh, the bad rap Aquaman's gotten over the years. So, you know, TV shows making fun of him. I mean, obviously he's he, he does his sort of a funny concept, but yep. um, yep. you know, for me it was like. This guy controls the animals in three quarters of the word, world surface. I don't find that particularly amusing, <laughs> but you know, I guess out, outsiders of nerddom, you know, would uh, would kind of see it differently. But um, so, at any rate, that's that. Growing up, I was always into comic books and horror movies and things like that. And uh, the way I got into this stuff, though, you know, by the time I got into um, like 7th, 8th grade, I was kind of getting out of the toy thing. You know, it was Migos and all that stuff had fallen by the wayside because I had seen Kiss for the first time on TV in <laughs> six. And all of a sudden, I looked at that and I was like, wow, these guys are like superheroes and uh, monsters combined with music. And that was kind of the end. Then I was obsessed with music. And I had always played. Since I was about 7 years old, I had taken piano lessons So me and some of my friends got into playing. And from that point on, it was, everything was, you know, rock and metal and stuff like that. So that became my new focus. And all through high school, I went to college. I started out studying engineering, did that for about a year and a half. And at that point, um, my dad had passed away and I was really, I really kind of had no uh, specific direction I wanted to go in. So him being a commercial artist, he wanted to push me into the technology field because he said, you know, my job by the time you're out of high school is going to be taken over by people running computer programs and stuff, which was fairly prescient because that's kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't, it didn't make his job go away. It just redefined it. You know, people with Photoshop and Illustrator and things like that. So at any rate, I went to school for that. After about a year and a half and after he passed away... I just rethought things and I changed my major into music. So I studied music for, I was in college for like seven years by the time I got out of there, year and a half of engineering. And then I was a liberal arts for a little while while I made the transition into a a classical uh, music program. So I studied um, uh, piano and composition and I minored in percussion. And, of course, by the time I got out of college, I was doing all these band things. I was playing at a couple of different churches. I was teaching piano lessons. And uh, most of the, the type of music I liked was progressive and, um, like, metal and things like that. And, of course, it's horrible trying to make a living at that stuff. And I always hated a lot of the music that you'd have to play if you played in wedding bands. <laughs> and 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 a couple of times when I would go to... Uh, you could go to agencies and get interviews <coughs> to um, hook in with these companies that ran kind of groups of uh, musicians to put together wedding bands. And I they were like, oh, yeah, you know, your playing's great, but, you know, you'd have to cut your hair. And after I heard that, I was like, no, man, I'm not cutting my hair to play this crappy music. <laughs> so uh, what ended up happening around 89 when um, – the Tim Burton Batman movie came out. All of a sudden, that reinvigorated my interest in the character. So I remember specifically going down to the city for some interview or something, and there was a comic shop or a newsstand right across the street from the train station where I lived. So I went in there, and I snagged a few uh, a few collections. Like, um, like one of the first ones was, uh, let's see, what was it? Um, it's a couple of the, the Batman collections. I think it was, um, like, not Lonely Place of Dimes. Before that, the one, where, uh, the one where Batgirl gets shot, the Alan Moore story.
2: Okay, yeah, Killing
4: Joke. Yeah, yeah, Killing Joke. That was one of the first ones I got back into. And uh, then I had stayed overnight at one of my friends' house. We played together in a band. And on the weekends, we would just, we'd practice in our practice rooms at school till like, 11, 12 at night. And then we'd get together all our money and go out drinking the whole rest of the night. So after after one of our binges, we go back to his house and I couldn't sleep and he had a pile of Batman graphic novels on the table. So I read like Dark Knight Returns and all this stuff that I had been completely unaware of because I'd been out of it for so long. And then by the time the Burton Batman movie came out, I got completely obsessed with Batman and toys and all that stuff again. And I started noodling around with uh, custom figures because I started trying to hunt down all the superpowers figures.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> at that point, I had, I had had the same job since I was in high school, since I was 15 or 16, I worked at um, a butcher shop slash deli next to my mom's house. And I basically, I had trained to be a butcher for years. So um, I really wanted to get out of that. And when I had gotten to a point where I was, you know, just at the end of my rope, uh, me and the guy I worked with used to look through the New York Times every day looking for a job that was going to get us out of this place. And I found an apprenticeship at a place that did collectible dolls in upstate New York. And they were looking for an apprentice mold maker. So I just bugged the crap out of this lady until she gave me an interview. And I brought a bunch of my drawings and some of my customs I was working on and stuff. And I remember the very first thing I saw when I went into the shop, they were working on rock'em sock'em robots based on terminator 2 so there was like an arnold sculpt and wax and a t1000 sculpt and wax and i was like man this is the place i want to be and i had to uh she hired two guys she hired me and another guy on a temporary basis and only one of us was going to uh get the gig and i was i lived a little closer and i actually had transportation so i kind of got the job i think by default And uh, I worked for her for like, for about five years and it was a very solid foundation and very traditional toy work. Because when she had started, she, would, she had been doing toys since the 70s. So everything we did was in, uh, you know, traditionally done in toy wax and uh, there was fabrication. I first started doing some machine work to do fittings and articulations there. And I did all the mold work, all the plaster work. And a lot of, um, we did oddball stuff, like we did some slip casting and firing stuff in a kiln. And um, the type of toys we did were predominantly porcelain dolls and we did a lot of, um, a lot of Tyco dolls, which were um, rotocast vinyl, which is a different approach than doing sculpting for uh, injection molded action figures. And we only did a couple of action figures here and there. It wasn't really her thing. She was great at it, but she just didn't like doing realistic or, you know, boys' toys kind of stuff. So once I was there and started to develop, she started to pick up a little more of that work just to keep me interested. And the the actual first job I did that was action figure oriented, which was predominantly almost all my work, was uh, I did a 12-inch creature from the Black Lagoon for the Hasbro Um some kind of signature series or something. They came in these, uh, like, big clear tubes, you know? Hmm. Okay. And we we worked on a few from from that line, but that one I pretty much did from start to finish. And once I got my hooks into something like that, I was like, man, I got to get out of here and do something else. And as it happened, one of her friends had a shop down in New Jersey, and he had done fabrication for McFarland Toys for the first or second spawn line. Like, he had built some weapons and angel wings for like one of the angelas or something like that. So, um, there was this whole synchronistic series of events that kind of put me in a position to go after that, the gig they had there. Um, because at around the same time I was, I was really into spawn when it came out. I think everyone was kind of enamored of that, you know, explosive style of, uh, splash pages and everything Todd had and a lot of those nineties guys. And <clears throat> I had to, I wanted to fill in a bunch of missing issues I had for spawn and a friend of mine just gave me a box of them. He's like, you know, I'm not into this anymore. I know you've been into it. So I was at my girlfriend, I was at her house at the time and uh, leafing through these books and there was an ad in there for McFarland toys looking for guys for the design office. And at the time I thought, you know, cool, go for this job. And it might be out in like Tempe, Arizona, because that's where you would send your portfolio So a guy that I worked with at the doll shop, he came over, he shot a bunch of stuff I had been working on and, uh, I sent in my portfolio and I had asked the guy that worked with my boss, this guy in Jersey, if he would be a reference for me. And, uh, he was like, yeah, sure. He said, I know all those guys. He said, uh, he said, you know, they're actually in Jersey. And I was like, well, it doesn't says Tempe. He said, yeah, but they, they use a development house in Jersey. So I send them a portfolio and after a couple of days, the, things get, the thing gets bounced back to me and it says that it wasn't picked up. So I find the phone number, I call in there and they're like, ah, somebody just didn't pick up the mail that day. You know, here I'm thinking, they looked at me, and they're like, wow, this is crap, you know, <laughs> you know, this guy, we don't need him. So uh, I get a hold of the lady over there and she's like, oh no, somebody just didn't pick up the mail. So they immediately bounce it back to you. She's like, just send it to uh, Ed Frank in New Jersey. He's the guy you want to talk to anyway. So I talked to him on the phone, and uh, they gave, and I cruised down there. They're in a little tiny building that basically is like a, looks like an abandoned mini shopping center. And there's just a little piece of paper on the window that says McFarland Toys, like typed on there, like printed out from a computer. Very unassuming digs for these guys. So I go in. There's like, a, there's like you know, 10 people working in this one little tiny room in the front of the building where the main office is. So I go in and talk to the guy. And the first job he gave me was a uh, Medusa from Spawn 13. And uh, they kind of had a rough out start, a real embryonic uh, figure. And he gave me a drawing he had done. So I took that, and that, that basically got me in the door. They liked what I did with the first project. So then he hired me and, you know, we talked, well, how much you need to come down here and uh, we made an agreement. So then I started working there and it was, um, it was cool because it was really like a, it was the heyday of that company where they really hired people who were individual artists to develop each figure and they'd hand you a drawing and they'd leave you alone for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. at your desk and you could look at the drawing, and if you had an idea on how to develop something a little differently, like you got a train of thought going for, like, you know, the leg armor or something, everything had to be covered with a zillion, you know, zillion bits of detail. If you had a train of thought about something, you could go to the designer and say, Hey, uh, I was thinking this. What do you think of this? And they'd be like, Yeah, go for it. You know, if it's cool and Todd likes it, it's a go. So you would be in this frame of mind where, we literally like would work like 90 hours a week and you know, you'd get paid for 40, but the whole thing was, is that if you got, if you got your project approved, you basically got, um, maybe had first crack at the cooler figures in the next line. So you're always Mm kind of looking ahead and always trying to really kick ass on every piece because that gave you more street cred in there and they'd give you a shot at even better stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And I worked there for um, I guess about six and a half years. I worked for Todd, and within the the first couple of years were really were really strange. The place was really in flux. Um, when I got there, uh, the Horsemen were still working there, and I worked in the the sculpting department with Eric Treadaway and uh, Chris Dahlberg, who were the sculptors from the Four Horsemen. And it was basically in the beginning, it was me and those guys and a few other guys. And everyone was kind of crammed in this one big room. They did all the fabrication and molding and casting in there. And uh, the company started to spread out within this little, kind of like little, um, uh, like bank of stores. It was weird. You know, if you drove by, you'd think it was like some strange little office building and there was kind of a, <laughs> a VFW or something tacked onto the side, which they moved into, they moved the shop into. And within the first, I think it was within the first year, the horsemen all split, all their friends that worked with them down in the shop split, and the place was like a ghost town. And they started hiring new people. and But under the same, uh, with the same idea, though, to find people that were going to bring kind of an individual vibe to every piece. And uh, And what happened, there was kind of a, point where the bosses kind of wanted to hand off some of the responsibilities to managers because before that, there was the two partners running McFarland Toys, which at the, it was really an offshoot of this other design company called AEB, the, uh, the founder of that, this guy, uh, Anthony Bolato, And as they brought in a lot of new guys, a lot of them were guys that would sculpt the like model kits and things or were more traditional sculptors and they really didn't know much of anything about toys. So what happened is I sort of, by default, I sort of ended up being the guy that everyone came to to ask questions because they didn't really want to go to the boss and ask him and look like they didn't know what they're doing. So they'd come <laughs> over and ask me and I'd set them on the right track or like say, well, this is what you have to do or whatever. And the boss has noticed that. And, you know, one day I was leafing through one of the peripheral magazines that Todd did. I think it was like a crow magazine or something. And I'm reading this interview with one of the guys from the shop. And he mentions that I was the sculpting supervisor. So I go up to the boss. I was like, so uh, when's <laughs> the money come with this, this new title? <laughs> and, and he's like, well, you know, take a little more, take a little time before the money comes along. But we decided to give you the title because everyone was coming to you to ask questions anyway. They don't ask us anything. So it's like, okay. So I basically, from that point on, I became the sculpting supervisor there. And um, kind of was able to help drive the aesthetic. Because at that point also, um, that was where they really started getting into uh, a hyper-realistic style. It was when they changed kind of the direction of movie maniacs from kind of more interpretive into more realistic. Mm -hmm. Where they started doing some of the goofier stuff like Austin Powers and things. But at the same time it was very realistic stuff. They were really focusing on portraits that looked like people rather than just sort of like the old Star Wars kind of Kenner thing where it looked like a toy, you know? And yeah. and this whole new aesthetic started. And also that's where you started to see less of an articulated action figure and more of a pre-posed statue with a few random cuts just to be able to move it around or mold it properly. Mm-hmm. And... It completely changed the whole industry. I mean, just Todd's aesthetic from day one, even with those very primitive spawn figures in the first couple of lines changed things because the figures were bigger. They were more kind of just explosive on the shelf. By the time we got into all of this stuff, and when there was things like um, not medieval spawn, what was the, the Dark Ages spawn and things like that, these things just looked completely different than anything that was out there. I mean, you think at the... You remember at the time, uh, Toy Biz was still kind of doing very primitive stuff. This was pre-Marvel Legends. And what ended up happening, actually, the once McFarlane expanded and a few of the guys that split, Toy Biz was actually using the overflow of McFarlane people to create Marvel Legends. So McFarlane kind of spread like a disease through the toy industry. <laughs> and it affected a lot of the old timers who were more traditionally trained, like me, but had been in it a lot longer, they were starting to feel themselves being squeezed out because nobody wanted figures that looked like those old crappy Kenner Star Wars toys anymore. They wanted stuff that actually looked like the actors. They wanted it to look like the clothing was real. They wanted to have a seven inch figure that looked like you could stick it into a, a stop motion animation right then and there, You know, and it, it just really turned the industry on its ear. Because the other thing was, too, is the older figures were a hell of a lot cheaper to make, too. Because there was, like, no detail. You could pull them out of a traditionally a traditional steel mold very easily. These new figures, I mean, we were working on stuff. By the time we got to, like, uh, the Samurai Spawn line, I did the main Samurai Spawn. And there was, like, 98 pieces to that figure without accessories. That was just the figure that I built with all the separate armor and articulation. And... <clears throat> That's also where we hit a point where it's like, OK, this is cool. Everybody loves it. But we got to find a split point where we're not spending an absurd amount of money on every figure and um, either breaking even or losing money. So there was a certain amount of pushback there. And um, and also at the time, then you started to see a lot of other companies like Resource kind of popping up who, you know, they were basically kind of uh, they were like the, the ugly stepchild of McFarlane. You know, the work wasn't as tight, but they had a lot of details. So it sort of what it was able to ape McFarlane to a degree. And there was a lot of companies started to come out like that. By the time I was there about six and a half years, the company had changed a lot. They had gotten into um, sports. They were doing a lot more movie licenses and they were starting to get into this weird kind of corporate attitude, but not corporate. And it, it affected everything across the boards. I had, at that point, I was no longer just sort of a guy playing the part of manager, but really doing what I was doing before, doing sculpture. I was managing a lot of people. Hmm. At one, I think at, a, at the maximum, I had about 16 people in the sculpting department between vendors who would kind of come in and out, in-house guys, and guys that I would use that were on the outside who I'd send work out to, you know, FedEx stuff to guys around the country. And I was basically, I had felt, I felt like I had become just sort of a babysitter. And um, most of what I was doing was meatball surgery. I'd, you know, get a portrait that wasn't quite right. I'd tweak it out. Um, there'd be a figure that needed a certain type of hair that I could do. I would do that. I was doing almost every cape on every spawn figure and stuff because it was something I could do. I'd be tweaking out drapery. I'd be doing things like, you know, basketball jerseys. And there was no continuity. And what started to happen too, the mentality within the company, too, was there was almost a, as you became more important, it was almost like they wanted to punish you for being more important. Like it was, uh, you know, um, to keep you in your place or something. And I my attitude was kind of of getting so negative. I was like, this isn't why I got into this stuff. I got into this because I dig it. And my mentality just doesn't line up to where this thing's going anymore. And I started sniffing around and there was companies that were interested, uh, in the beginning, particularly NECA. I was friends with some of the guys because what was happening, once NECA cropped up little by little, people started to look at them and say, well, these guys are pretty much McFarlane in their classic period, when they're still into really cool stuff. And very few guys were into the new stuff we were doing. I mean, the sports and things like that. And all the other lines were getting sort of the short end of the stick because they were focusing all their attention on the sports and they were sort of starting to ignore everything else. So I was losing a lot of guys from my department over to other companies, especially to NECA. And those guys had kind of, you know, been courting me a little bit. So I was friends with them. So... I, I decided to split from McFarlane, which was kind of a scary decision. But at that point, like for the previous two years, if I asked, whenever I asked them for a raise, they would give it to me automatically because they didn't want to have to do what I did. And eventually, I I went to my boss. I was like, listen, man, I was like, I could keep asking you for more money. You may or may not give it to me, but it's not about the money. It's just I don't want to be the guy who's screwing up your situation that you've spent so long developing and I'm, I want to get back to doing what I did before, you know, I'd be happy to still freelance for you, but I'm just not digging the vibe here anymore. So, you know, he was cool and I freelanced for those guys a little bit and, but even with that, it was, you know, I started to feel like, you know, the uh, red haired stepchild, you know, they would give me stuff or I was like, Oh, well, you know, can you rough this out? Or we might have some tweaks on portraits. And in the meantime, there was other companies that had called me up right out of the gate, you know, within, uh, within that first year, I heard from, uh, DC direct and I heard from diamond and those guys were like, yeah, we'd love to work with you on something. And I talked to a couple guys at DC and I was like, I was like, yeah, I, I had a huge portfolio of DC stuff that I had done as uh just private commission stuff for a couple of friends. And when I heard from diamond, I talked to the director over there and he was like, he's like, you know, I, you pick how you want to work with us. We want to work with you. We don't really care in what way you just tell us what you want to do. So between those two companies, I got very busy, very fast, especially with diamond diamond from day one, basically, I was a completely, I was pretty much an unknown quantity. I, I was known a little bit because I did an, all the magazine stuff for McFarlane because the bosses hated all that stuff. So if anyone had to be on camera or talk to a guy from a magazine, they're like, you know, let him do it. He's been on stage his whole life. He loves that crap. So uh, a couple of people knew who I was. And the guy from Diamond was like, look, you know, I'm going to give you our two of our big licenses we're just starting with. So I helped them develop. Um, the Stargate and Stargate Atlantis figures and after that Battlestar Galactica and ran pretty much ran the whole projects for them they put together uh, lists of characters and things and then I would basically run with it and I ran a group of guys that I hired just like I had at McFarlane I had a bunch of outside vendors and between me and them I put together whole lines for them and all the accessories and build a build an accessory gates and things and and I also started doing um statues in their Marvel milestones line and some of the Marvel select figures and basically they they put a lot of faith in me and d c at that point too i think I think I started actually working for d c about six months after diamond because d c was a little slower out of the gate. I talked to him a bunch of times before my first job, and then the very first figure I did for him was a uh, the apparel style Batman from the crisis on infinite earths line. And then I did a doctor light for that line and Mm -hmm. gradually gradually it kind of, it kind of, uh, started cooking from there. I did a whole line of Shazam figures for him and then like started doing black, Batman black and white and stuff like that.
2: That, um, Shazam line is one of my favorite sets of dc direct figures i didn't actually realize that you'd done that until i started looking at your deviant art stuff but that was just a fantastic set of figures
4: yeah it actually um i was never a big fan of captain marvel and um i worked on that closely with um george brewer who at the time was running dc direct and because of his position, he didn't have a lot of time to actually art direct jobs, but he was particularly into Captain Marvel. Mm. Mm. So me and him worked hand in hand on that line, and uh, the art direction was very tight. He Originally, he had started out, he, he talked about doing a Jerry Ordway-style Shazam line. And I started roughing it out that way, and then it sort of became this weird amalgam of more modern art styles like Ordway and some of the more classic sort of faucet look. And that's how that that's how the aesthetic of that line developed and there was there was actually supposed to be a sixth figure which was going to be the wizard Shazam, but when they um, when they put together the line and cost it out about halfway through, they cut the wizard because it was just too uh, too expensive and they tended to stick to like five figure lines.
2: Hmm. yeah, fair enough.
4: and there was also um, originally, each character was going to come with um, one or two of the the seven sins of man. Little little tiny busts of each one of those um, evils that were in the cave when uh, oh, okay. Billy. And they that was another thing they cost they costed out of the uh, packaging, but it was it kind of for a character that I was never really interested in. It all of a sudden made me appreciate the character, and I went out because I went out before the job typically. With any job I start, I go and I, I pick up a bunch of stuff about the character and I immerse myself in the character before I get into it. And I picked up like, a, Alex Ross had just done a big format painted book on Captain Marvel. I picked up a few of the previous DC Direct figures and just got my head in the game, so to speak. And what was ironic is after that, for a character that I was, he was probably my least favorite character, I ended up doing too many busts mm-hmm. and a whole line of figures. And for some reason, I think there was something else, too. There might have been another thing, but it just Captain Captain Marvel just keeps coming my way. You know, <laughs> it's just, you know, so I've gotten to interpret them a few different ways, which is kind of cool. And like I said, it, you know, kind of changed my perspective on the character. It's a lot different when I have to immerse myself in it and actually start working on the character and appreciate the interest interesting aspects of the costume especially with him between the action figure line where we did sort of that sleek bodysuit to um the first bust that i did which had the had the panel with the buttons on it on the side which was more of the classic costume to the new 52 version that i did in the last bust
0: yeah so speaking of of characters gene you you've done so much stuff across so many areas of pop culture you've done movies, you've done live action TV characters, you've done animated TV characters, comic books How much of it for you, what's the balance between, say, having, I guess, an affection or a a passion for the subject as opposed to, you know, the actual challenge of of doing something? So, for example, you know, your swamp thing bust is is just exquisite with the amount of detail. So I imagine as a sculptor that would be quite a challenge. But, you know, do you prefer to be working on something that you're more familiar with? Is that, you know, I guess more fun?
4: Um, I, it's kind of, it's kind of split. Like at the point that I'm at in my career now, I don't, I don't take jobs that I'm not interested in. I don't have Mm -hmm. to because there's, you know, I mean, knock on wood, but there's always a lot of stuff offered to me and I can kind of cherry pick the stuff I really want to do. Um, Swamp Thing was just a really fortunate situation because at the time I was doing pretty much all of the male characters in the Heroes of the DC Universe line of busts, because when they kicked the line off, the art director that I was working with, uh, this guy John Santagata, I had worked with him a little uh, with Mezco. I had done a bunch of heads for their 8-inch Warriors line, which was kind of Amigo-esque line, and uh, when John split from Mezco, he went to DC Direct, and the first thing he did is he tried to hook in with a lot of guys he'd worked with before, so when they pitched the line of minibusts, he wanted me on the line exclusively for the male characters. They had a few other guys doing the females. So he had a very interesting way of approaching it, and he wanted very, very energetic poses rather than kind of um, the, we would call kind of museum kind of pose, like a lot of the Bowen stuff where all the characters are pretty much posed with their arms crossed just kind of standing there. John really wanted these characters to be in motion, to be, to have the bus telling a story from the base up Mm. through the body language of the characters, just a complete departure from what most people had been doing with mini-busts. And uh, by the time we got into, I think Swamp Thing was about, he ended up being around the third wave. And by the second wave, DC was pretty much leaving us alone to go off the reservation and really make these (laughs) things groundbreaking. Because the first wave was very, was very kind of sedate. it was typical DC direct, very traditional takes on the characters. We had to be sort of restrained in the amount of detail by the second wave, they left us alone. And we're starting to put, you know, little inking hash marks in the figures and getting very detailed, basically like if Almost to the point of what I would have done at McFarlane, where they would just turn you loose. Because most companies, when I started working for them, aside from Diamond, they some of them had sort of an attitude against McFarlane. Because basically when Todd was really in his heyday, everyone had to try to keep up. You know, you'd go to Toy Fair and everybody would be like, you know, what are they going to do next that's going to cost us more money to go into production? So there was a little bit of backlash with some companies where they wanted to show you that like, you know, McFarlane's not all that. You guys weren't like, you know, the top of the heap kind of thing. But in this particular instance, because I was working with a guy who was already pretty progressive in his thinking by the second wave, we were really just kind of able to develop something interesting. And he also wanted to do a lot of interesting characters. Like we managed to get Etrigan past them and, I never thought I'd be able to work on the demon, you know, because typically with most companies, you know, especially with DC Direct, they would do a five-figure line. And if once they got past the core guys, Mm. you'd never kind of get out into the second string. And uh, so we talked about Etrigan and the Spectre and Deadman and all these characters. And a lot of them didn't happen, but he got Swamp Thing past him. And he's like, dude, he's like, they okayed it work on it, get as much done as you can, as fast as possible, so they <laughs> fill it. So, and at the time, we were also, um, I think most of the drawings in the second wave, if not all of them, were done by Gary Frank. Hmm. And so the drawings were just, you know, really beautiful, and they left, they left a lot of room for interpretation. So nice. when we did Swamp Thing, I think Swamp Thing is like the best thing out of that whole line. It was just, I was just able to go, really just go off on it. And we put all sorts of little critters into it and um, tons of texture. And they did a fantastic job of reproducing it in production. And the first figure after that, the first bust after that was the um, David Finch costume Batman. And that ended up being the point where DC direct was, um, they changed the structure. Uh, Jim Fletcher took over head up, heading up DC direct Warner Brothers moved them out to California. Uh, my friend John, he didn't want to move to California, so he went freelance and was doing his own thing, and the whole structure was just changed completely. So Batman was kind of the breaking point, and a new art director took over, and the aesthetic changed and the posing and stuff like that. And then after that, um, then I did a Cyborg. Uh, it, the whole thing went New 52, basically. I did Cyborg uh new 52 Superman and uh, new 52 Captain Marvel, who is now officially Shazam because of the, you yeah. know, Marvel Comics DC thing over their names. And, uh, <clears throat> it completely took a different direction, but, you know, to go back to your original question, um, it doesn't really matter to me whether it's something that I'm totally enamored of like Batman or, um, something i know nothing about you know i've always really been more of a dc guy than a marvel guy you know i love the capes and underpants universe <laughs> and, and so marvel i've i've always liked some of the characters but it always tended to be either the oddball superheroes like hawkeye or an ant-man and things like that or the the darker side of the universe like um tomb of dracula werewolf by night um the Tales of the Zombie, Frankenstein Runs Amok, The Living Mummy, that was the Marvel universe that I was in love with and Morbius and things like that. And uh, so when I got into, one of the things when I got into um, Diamond and they started having me do some Marvel stuff, the first thing I did was uh, Frank Miller Daredevil where he's sort of, he's kind of slumped over the tombstone of Electra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they had me base that off of a cover. And after that one, they let me do whatever I wanted. They were just like, oh, we want a, what was it? Uh, I think the first one after that was a Carnage. There's like, yeah, we want a Carnage. Just do it however you want to do it. So then I started designing all of them. And I had been I had been harassing Chuck uh, Tessiera, who runs Diamond, basically, uh, about Tomb of Dracula. I was like, dude, you know, got to let me do a Tomb of Dracula. And finally, after the first couple of years, he... Um, <laughs> he broke and it's like look he said do a really cool Spidey for me and i'll let you do whatever you want with Tomb of Dracula. <laughs> so he finally got got to hit that one and that was kind of the that was one of those kind of holy grail kind of projects there's he, i love everything i do but there's certain pieces that uh you know are just sort of little there are wins here and there where it's like i finally got somebody to let me do that and that's tuma was one of them The uh, the other one that's been a holy grail has been uh, is the Batman sixty six license, and now that that they haven't really announced this uh, all out, but um, I'm pretty much spearheading that for Diamond Select. Cool. So that's that's been one of those things I've always wanted to do because it was literally my first introduction to Batman was that TV show because I was about three when that came on TV and I watched it. You know, I think it was on like twice a week. You know, and that's what triggered my obsession with Batman. So um, so it's a little of both. I mean, I'll find the gold in just about anything. But at this point, (laughs) if, if I'm not interested in a movie product or if I'm not interested in a character, I just I don't have to take the job. You know, so it's, you know, like with Diamond, it's really nice because they basically show me their their list of licenses for the year and they let me cherry pick what I want.
2: No,
1: that's and, right.
4: Excellent. And, like, um, another another thing that I always had wanted to get my hands on was Universal Monsters. And we had actually kicked it around a little bit at McFarlane, but it never happened. And around that time, I think it was, they had talked about doing it, I think, right after Sideshow had kind of, that line had kind of petered out. And then nothing ever happened. And then few years ago, one of my friends was working for Diamond, and he did the first few figures because I also do a lot of art direction for Diamond. They send me pictures of a lot of sculpture, and I give them critiques and stuff like that because they'll send me stuff, and they'll be like, you know, there's something off. Can't tell quite what it is. What do you think? So in all critique stuff, one of my friends was doing the initial wave of Universal Monsters, and then I kind of jumped in and did The Wolfman and The Bride, and I would kind of throw figures in here and there, but once I did, um, when they were talking about doing the monsters, they're like, "Well, what do you think of this?" And I said, "That's another show I loved when I was a kid," and they're like, "Well, would you be interested?" I said, "Yeah, I want the whole thing." So I developed monsters with them, and that was that was kind of more in the style of Diamond now too, where basically they gave me the license to develop and just trusted me to come up with cool stuff, and. As we went back into Universal Monsters, I said to him, you know, I said, because one, uh, one of the things with the Monsters is they are like, this time around, we don't want movable statues. We want fully articulated figures. We want cool accessories. We think that those two aspects are what are gonna really help to sell the figures. So we did the first wave of Monsters and they were pretty well received and Toys R Us was behind them, which is huge. Mm -hmm. So when I went back to do the next Universal Monsters, I was like, you know, what if we take that whole uh, approach to Monsters and we completely rethink the Universal Monsters instead of kind of a uh, pre-posed, semi-articulated Aurora model kit? Why don't we take that all that articulation and the cool bases and throw it into Universal Monsters? So like, cool. So I did a couple of figures that way. And they still had um, one figure left in kind of the old style. And they liked the way it was going. So after that point, they gave me the whole thing to continue. And uh, I took over all the Universal stuff after that. You know, all the action figures. They still had other guys developing other products. And uh, and that's kind of been the trend has been um, towards more articulation and less of the pre-posed figures. So that... That type of approach to things, which was all the rage about five years ago, is now, you know, now it's about as fashionable as Bell Bottoms.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Actually, Bell Bottoms probably has more of a chance of coming back than
1: that. It comes around in cycles.
4: <laughs> yeah, basically. So, um, but, you know, so everything. Now, as I get an opportunity to knock off some of these holy grail kind of projects, there's sometimes there's newer things that are pretty interesting or like retro properties. You know, I've kind of, I keep coming across these retro properties that people offer me. And for the longest time, I was really um, kind of typecast as a realistic sculptor. And the irony to that is, is I had never done portraits. I had never done realism until I went to McFarland because the company I worked at before when we weren't doing dolls, we were doing like cartoon stuff. We were doing, we did like um, gargoyles and uh, Batman animated series for those creepy crawlers molds, and um, did a lot of Warner Brothers, like Tasmanian Devil and Bugs Bunny and things like that, and uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost. And after McFarland, everybody like looks at you as like, okay, this this is just another one of these guys that just does. A whole mess of detail on figures portraits and stuff and i do that stuff it was never really my preferred thing or anything that i considered a specialty it's just i happen to have an awful lot of experience after the mcfarland thing so what ended up happening is uh i i don't know if i had even done too much uh outside of the realistic thing and then mezco started doing thundercats and their uh an art director over there, uh, Damian Glonick, called me up and he was like, dude, is like, we're going to do like uh, six Scale Thundercats. Are you interested? And I was like, yeah. I said, I love that show. But like when I was in high school, me and my brother used to watch that after school. And uh, so I started working on those and ended up doing all of that line. And I had a couple people come to me and they're like, they're like, dude, never even knew you could do that stuff. And I was like, <laughs> well, nobody asked me to do this stuff. It's not, you know. <laughs> I said I did tons of it before, it's just you've never seen it because it was back in you know, back in the old days and I was working at the doll shop, you know so now because of that other things sort of in that vein have popped up, like I did a I did an 18 inch caricaturized um, Frankenstein for Mezco
0: mm-hmm.
4: uh, about a year and a half ago or something and and that was really cool because it, it allows you to kind of stretch out in ways that um, realism and very tight portraits don't, you know. There's just a lot more freedom.
0: So sp- speaking of that level of freedom and I guess the, the art direction, with something like an Eddie Munster, there, there's not a whole a lot of room for, you know, your own creative input. But w- one piece in particular I wanted to ask you about was the uh, the World of Warcraft tauren hunter which is just one of the most insane action figures I've ever seen. It's, uh, the level of detail is astonishing. Uh, how much of that is, is you and how much of that is specific input?
4: Well, that particular project, um, that sort of uh, developed out of... Uh, DC had been trying to cut a deal with those guys, and I think initially the Blizzard people weren't really sure if DC Direct was going to have the style they wanted. And basically the way they sold it to him, they had started up a few figures and Blizzard was a little kind of, you know, lukewarm on what they were doing. And they had problems with a couple of the figures. And as they were working things out, basically they had a meeting with the Blizzard guys. And apparently they brought in a bunch of McFarland figures and they tossed them on the table. They're like, look, this is what we're really looking for. And the guy who was art directing all that stuff for DC was Jim Fletcher and he was like well he said I got the guy that used to art direct all this stuff he used to work for McFarlane when they were making all this and that sucked Blizzard in and then they started I sort of became kind of the the liaison between DC Direct and Blizzard and they started um I did more of the figures and I, they were also having me look at a lot of the other figures to maintain a consistent kind of vibe to the line level of detail, the level of cleanup and things like that. And um, the Torrin in particular was developed over a long period of time. I think from beginning to end, that was kind of an odyssey of about a year. Mm. They, um, they had talked about a particular version of the Torrin. They had hired a friend of mine to do a design Um, of the tauren this uh this designer daphne daphne yap who's a good friend of mine so she had done this design which is really cool and this was after they had already had another guy working on a tauren which was a complete freaking mess (laughs) and they hired a guy and they asked me about it and they're like well what do you think and i was like well have you seen him do anything like this and what he did like blizzard completely hated and they're like you know well can you rework this and i was like no, I'm not reworking this. It's a complete loss, and um, so and Blizzard didn't want it either. So they they had my friend redesign it. I started working from those drawings. After about a month in, then they decided to tell me, "Oh well, we never approved that drawing." So then they gave me a whole new set of drawings that I start working from, and they kind of back and forth between different armor classes and things like that. So at the end of the day, it's like, well, end of the year. It's like almost a year later when finally the thing's done. And there was a there was a lot of fairly tight art direction. They had a lot of real specific stuff. But then there was things. I worked directly with um, this guy, Nick Carpenter, who uh, is one of the head guys over there. And uh, he knew that I was a night owl. So he'd call me at like 3 in the morning because he knew <laughs> I'd be up. And he was on California time and we'd rap about the characters. He's like, well, did you look at this figure that they're doing and this one, you know, here's my problems with this figure and that figure, and then we'd talk about what was going on with the tauren, and he would give me a little bit of leeway to develop things like some of the some of the bags on his utility belt, things like that, and, um, and they, he would give me an idea of, okay, I want sort of more of a leather texture here, I want this type of feel to the fur here, and there was a lot of specificity, but he also understood that whether he was going to be super specific or fairly kind of impressionistic in what he was telling me to do, he knew I would kind of interpret what he wanted. And uh, the Torum was probably the the most involved figure that I had done for that line. It was also very big, and there was logistical issues with you know. The way the pose was, they wanted his head very far to the side, and all that. And you know, the horn actually interfered with the huge shoulder pad. So he was like, "Well, you know what? We can make the horn like it's broken off from a battle to, you know, avoid that interference with the shoulder pad."
2: And uh, yeah, yeah. So, what have you, you know, got? Sorry, what have you got coming up that um, you're excited about?
4: Well, the uh, the biggest thing, like I said before, that I have right now is the Batman '66. That's mm-hmm. what I'm actually in the middle of right now uh we actually had showed the first two busts in san diego but because we're still in the middle of approvals this stuff they didn't shoot any pictures it wasn't on the internet or anything so i'm literally today once we're off the phone that's what i'm going back to <laughs> but there's that and uh the other thing i don't know if they i think they have announced is uh they're developing uh sin city and i'm doing a. Uh, a diamond select style line of articulated figures for Sin City, which, you know, the, the previous wave of figures that were done by NECA were really kind of more of the McFarlane statue style. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing now is um, more like the universal Monsters style with full articulation, accessories and, um, and fairly elaborate bases. And then of course, you know, the program that they always run where they'll have a select version for uh, specialty in comic stores and then have kind of a cut down or a variant for TRU and other mass outlets. Okay, and, so uh, is, that,
0: is that movie or comic inspired?
4: Uh, the movie.
0: Okay, cool.
4: I guess uh, some of these older properties are getting a resurgence because I think they're trying to um, line these up with um, re-releases the DVD or the Blu-ray or something like that, you know. So, um, sometimes they'll cut these deals so that they can coincide with some other media release.
1: Mm. Um, I noticed you, um, have had the time occasionally to do some commission pieces. How often does that come along?
4: Uh, well, a lot of the commission stuff that I've showed is old stuff. It's stuff that I did, um, years ago. Like actually I stuff I had done on the side when I was still working for Todd, but, um, the last couple of years, actually, different commission things have come up that I have taken on. It's just, it's kind of rare because I'm literally just swamped all the time. And I only take probably 60% of the work that's passed on to me. I mean, I used to, my studio used to handle a lot more and I used to use a lot of vendors for kind of extraneous work and to kind of keep the, keep the studio a little more spread out, but it just became, it started to become a lot like towards the end of McFarlane where I was doing a lot of babysitting and I'd be paying people a lot of money to do work that they just weren't really finishing to the level that I needed to have, you know? And, uh, so I kind of cut back on the amount of stuff that I was accepting. And, uh, it also kind of allowed me to do some private commission stuff in the cracks here and there. And I'm just, I'm just very picky with it because there's a lot of things where people expect um, like you'd be able to do say like a 12 inch figure for them for a couple hundred bucks. You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I might do that for myself, but um, it doesn't really, it just doesn't make sense for the amount of time it would take because, you know, there's a lot of guys that are basically, I look at some things some guys do and it kind of looks like they charge you like a taxi driver You know, like you paid this much money. So once the meter goes off, I'm done. But with me, no matter what, if I make an agreement to do something, no matter what that agreement is, that client gets 100% of my attention. And, you know, the part of that is because I just don't take jobs I'm not into. But if I even if I did, I would still give it 100%.
1: Well, but, one of the um, um, pieces we were we were looking at prior to calling you in is the the Doctor Fate one, and uh, that definitely looks like you're into it.
4: Yeah, yeah, that was um, at the time I was kind of developing a line of one six scale statues, and I wanted to specifically concentrate on uh, the Justice Society. And Doctor Fate was always a character I loved, and Wildcat, and Doctor Midnight, stuff like that. And I had gotten, um, I think I did. About nine figures in that line. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, I think there was about nine figures. Kind of spread out all over the place. Like, there was some Justice League. I did a Nightwing, um, uh, Green Arrow, and a Hal Jordan, Green Lantern and stuff. And I did a Spectre for that line. And um, when I stopped doing them was basically when I had gone freelance. Because all of a sudden... Things got um, so busy so fast. And those pieces were actually the ones that my first interview with DC, I took like six or eight of those down in a big box. And I just set them all up on the art director's desk. And I was like, look, you know, because they had called me. They knew a guy that I worked with at McFarland with the time was uh, working for them. And uh, so they called me in and I brought all this stuff. And I was like, said, I'm totally into the characters. This is what I would do. You know, this is what I can bring to the table. And they were really into it. And, you know, like I said, it was, I think it was probably six months before I got actually the first job with them. And then later on, they they were kind of interested in developing, possibly developing that line as a one-six scale line. And I had actually done a couple of prototypes and paint-ups for some of them, specifically Dr. Fate and uh, this huge Hawkman statue. But then at that point, the... Company had reconfigured, they moved to California. Warner Brothers was much more kind of looking over their shoulder, and the new 52 happened. So they started talking about it like, well, maybe if we do the Hawkman, it might have to be a new 52 Hawkman. And the whole thing just sort of faded into the background. It was never talked about again. You know, Mm -hmm. so it was just kind of one of those things that, you know, would have been cool to go farther with. But at this point, those sculptures are so old, I'd rather go back and just kind of completely approach a lot of the characters from scratch anyway, you know. But I think probably probably the Dr. Fate is the most solid out of that that old and, line of the stuff.
0: And you have to confess, Gene, he, he's not really casting a spell, is he? He's, he's rocking out with the D.O. devil horns?
4: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the stand-up with chat version.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good.
2: Okay, well look um, Gene, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us We really do appreciate it um, is, is there anything that you kind of want to say In wrapping up, just in terms of um, Stuff you've worked on that we haven't Spoken about, or things coming up?
4: Uh, well, we're going to announce a, a bunch of new stuff um, At New York Comic Con Next week, The two of the things That were sort of out there, but not Necessarily underlined is my involvement Being in were the Batman 66 And um Sin City and there will be a few other things I have a panel uh, at 12.15 on the Saturday of New York Comic Con with Diamond Select specifically to make a bunch of announcements Um, I also have a Gary Frank Batman Black and White that's going to be coming out sometime this year, I don't know if they announced a release date for it yet, Uh, about a month or two ago uh, the Raphael Grandpa Batman that I did for DC Direct came out and a let's say i did a new 52 black manta which came out recently and a, a deathstroke that's coming out in i guess in the next couple months i can't remember if i saw a solicit for it yet but um those are all the newest things going on and then i also have a couple other projects that i'm probably i probably won't be able to announce till as far off as toy fair a lot of um I have a lot of weird um, private commissions right now, too. But (laughs) there's a couple of things that are coming up that uh, are action figure oriented that are kind of off the beaten track a little bit. I can't really talk about yet, but um, you'll see a lot of stuff in the coming months. I'm doing more work now than I've done in a long time. And especially right at this moment, my association with Diamond has never been more. More intense. We have so much stuff going on right now in development. I also have more Marvel stuff coming out, like later in the year that they haven't announced yet. So it's it's going to be a pretty involved year, and possibly even uh, I may announce some uh, some of my own work that is going to come out too. I'm just cool. Cool. still kind of noodling around with um, how I'm going to afford to produce it, but you know I may or may not announce that too sometime this year.
0: Outstanding. Outstanding. Do you want to do the wrap-up, Ben? Uh, No, other than uh, say thank you very much for joining us, Jim. We really appreciate you taking the time with us tonight.
4: Oh, it's my my pleasure, guys.
0: Fantastic. All right. Well, coming up after that uh, discussion, we'll be talking about some feedback before we wrap things up. You can bring home the adventure of
4: Disney's Toy Story now on video with the talking and poseable figures of Woody and Buzz Lightyear. My name's Woody. Buzz Lightyear, I come common peace. Cool, he's going to the stars. Meet intergalactic
3: Buzz Lightyear. His new spacesuit protects him from evil proton
4: rays and comes equipped with a flip-up arm communicator. Buzz Lightyear to the rescue. Bring muscles on target. Buzz Lightyear and Woody figures are each sold separately. Batteries are included from Thinkway.
0: Well, before we finish off, we have some feedback from our listeners to share with you. And If you'd like to hear your questions, comments or suggestions on future episodes, you can email us at podcast at actionfigureblues.com and you may just hear it read out. And uh, I'm going to start off the feedback tonight and we have one from at regeekerypod and they say, Hulk needs to be talked about in every episode of AFB in the future, please just drop his name and a few sentences in the conversation. So have we talked about Hulk? Oh, you mentioned the Red Hulk earlier in the episode we did yeah, yeah. so that's you know yeah does yeah, yeah. that any hulk mention
2: hulk 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 hulk
0: hulk hulk, hulk. hulk, yep. hulk smash <laughs> hulk smash feedback hulk
2: smash <laughs> feedback um and speaking of some feedback that could be smashed um we talked last week about the mr potato head dr who dalek and uh, I believe we might have thought that there wasn't any other Doctor Who stuff. But our good friend Eddie three four two nine has mentioned that hey guys, there is a Mister Potato Head Matt Smith Doctor. He's already out, and he has a fez. <laughs> How could we forget? It? I blame John yeah. um, for for that. But uh, you know that's that's just typical John, really, isn't it? No, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. thank you, Eddie. Uh, for that, and yes, of course, you are right, so um good to you know that that slightly bizarre Mr. Potato Head Dalek is not all on its own and he's got a doctor to fight. Indeed. Well, that brings us to the
0: end of the show. And and once again, our guests, you you find them just so fascinating that you just don't want to interrupt them, but at the same time (laughs) you want to ask them lots and lots of questions. And sometimes I feel like we could have like four-hour interview episodes. So um, we really must revisit some of these great guests that we've had and and, and ask them lots more questions. Yeah, Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, But anyway, that's it for this episode. So thanks for listening, and uh, it's a pleasure to be back after my little two-week absence. Yeah, we miss you. I hope so. And, uh, well, that's it. That's it. Bye, everybody. That's it. Bye, everyone. Bye. Have your engineer nerds spayed or neutered. Oh, dear. Bye.
2: Bye
0: So, do we actually need a, an intro? Do you want me to do the intro and name that? Or? No, no. John does the whole thing. Does he? Yep. Good on. Him. I haven't even listened to last week's. Well, when he's not on the show,
2: he does. He sends me the whole thing packaged up. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yep. Good on him. Yep. With That's music, music and everything.
0: Hmm. Good, good on him. He's a good boy. That he is. All right.
2: Don't um, tell him I said that, though. Oh, god, no. no.